Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that, write that down for me, Slater. Write that down for me, Slater. All right, hello from Burbank, California, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Write That Down. On the Fight Game Media Network, I'm Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com. I write over at WrestlingObserver.com. I also work for Pro Wrestling Noah, CyberFight Inc. And I'm back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, sociologist, broadcast journalist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Thank you for joining us once again. All right. This week's show, I loved doing this show. This was a really interesting and fun episode talking about sumo wrestling and sumo's influence on Japanese pro wrestling from the structure to the culture of sumo to the lifestyle and its overall influence that even lasts to this day so much so that whatever we watch from today's Japan today's pro wrestling scene if you study you can really see that sumo's DNA is encoded inside all of Japanese pro wrestling today um, on today's episode, we talked about a lot of sumo wrestlers, but also sumo wrestlers who became pro wrestlers. Of course, Riki Dozan. We talked about Riki Dozan quite a bit, and from he and Toyonobori to Hiroshi Wajima, Koji Kitao, Akebono, Konishiki, Asa Shoryu, Akuho. They're all important. They all had different effects on sumo. And sumo's influence on pro wrestling through that we talked about a lot of different things and if you're not familiar with sumo if you have questions this is the episode this is it this is your primer okay um hey if you haven't already please subscribe to fight game media network podcast feed the free feed it's on spotify and apple or wherever you usually listen to your podcasts it really does help us so thank you for that in advance all right, let's dig in to our episode on sumo wrestling and its influence on pro wrestling in Japan. We'll talk about sumo a little bit, then then going to how this sumo system transferred to professional wrestling world by father of pro wrestle Ricky Dozen, of course. Mm-hmm. Who was also Ricky a sumo wrestler too? Yeah, uh, Sekiwake. Sekiwake. See, there's like a ranking. The grand champion is Yokozuna, top. Mm-hmm. Then champion Ozeki. Then you have Sekiwake, 
come suvi, then uh, Hiromaku, you know, that the, the, what you watch on you know, TV, that the small broadcasting TV, they only show top 40 of mm-hmm. sumo wrestling, sumo wrestlers. They're like a, always have um, somewhere between 650 to 700 sumo wrestlers. Did you know that? Mm, it's like an army. Yeah, 650 to 700 from Jonokuchi to Johnny Dan to Sandame to Makushita. Then you have Julio, 40 guys. Then you have Makuchi, 40 guys. And what you see on TV is just the top, very top 40 guys. But there's another 600 of them out there. <clears throat> and that, the guys we see on television are usually salaried as well, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Maybe not all of them. Uh, of course, during a tournament, if a if a sumo wrestler loses a lot, that definitely jeopardizes his standing. Yeah, but they don't flunk from that uh, that the Makuchi ranking that easy. Mm-hmm. You're still mm-hmm. top forty. So. Yeah, because sumo wrestler starts when you're what, fifteen, sixteen. It starts from Jonokuchi. If you want to watch them wrestle, you got to go to Koku, you know, the, the Sumo Palace, Kokugika, 9 o'clock in the morning. You can see them. You know, it's going on all day long until the TV's on, like 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in, in, in the afternoon. You see last 15 card. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? The important matches. <clears throat> yeah. And Ricky Dozan was Sekiwake, very close to Ozeki. Then he quit. Ricky Dozan was sumo wrestler between 1940 to 1950 for 10 years. Yeah. Came from Korean Peninsula. But uh, it's been misunderstood that uh, he he came from uh, no, no, from Korea and his nationality was hidden or something. It's been written up. But uh, you got to understand that uh, there was no North Korea or South Korea when he was born. 1920s you know that uh, the entire korean peninsula was japanese colony back then Mm. he didn't have korean passport to come in he was a kid from colony am i making Mm. sense Mm -hmm. yeah it's like a real history of it i'm not so proud of it having this colony and all these things you know but uh yeah that's real history that uh, for 30 year period the entire Korean Peninsula was Japanese colony as a wartime, and also Ricky Dozan was a product of wartime. Anyhow, that uh, he came to uh, this side of the, the ocean uh, to be sumo wrestler around 1939, and he started as a sumo wrestler in 1940, and he was there for 10 years between 1940 and 19, uh, 1950. And his rest, professional wrestling career doesn't start till 1951. And that's also when um, it had already been a couple of years after World War II. Um... Uh, World War II was over, 1945. During the war, he wasn't drafted, but he had Japanese name, name already then. See, it's this whole the, the colony thing and the nationality and the citizenship thing has to be dealt with. That uh, he had a Korean name. And there was Japanese name. Then he changed his citizenship in while he was in Japan. So he was like almost what we call dual citizen in today's language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but because uh, the sumo world was so, so conservative that the, in order to become yokozuna that the, you have to be japanese national national or something mm-hmm. yeah and uh, all in all he he had two different names korean native korean name and momota uh, that the japanese name mm. Yeah, but it's been studied and researched over and over, and uh, it's been dealt with. But uh, he was not Korean. He was a citizen, but uh, the, it was a kid came from colony. Is that what the reality was? And he was so good back home then, and then somebody from Japan came, and you know that uh, picked him up. Like you know, why don't you come over to the mainland, Japan? That meant. That, that to become you know sumo wrestler he was so talented so he was there for 10 years and uh, during during the war uh he wasn't drafted but uh, he had you know that all the sumo wrestlers volunteered to uh work at the factory and build cannons or, or you know what i'm saying like building mm-hmm. tanks or manual that, labor yeah yeah, yeah. then uh, even during the wartime that the sumo basho was still held that got smaller and some of the small wrestlers did go to war too and uh, this is a wartime right mm-hmm. and uh, he continued with sumo until after the war see the war was over august of 1945 he was in sumo another five years all the way to sekiwake yeah mm-hmm. yeah then, then, then he something happened between in Heian and uh, some other discrimination and uh, other reasons that uh, uh, that uh, he um, he did uh, something unheard of. He cut his mage, you know, the samurai hairdo that the sumo wrestlers have. Mm-hmm. He cut his own mage at his home the one night, nineteen sometimes nineteen fifty September one night. He decided to cut it, you know. Uh, once you cut the samurai hairdo, that uh, mage, that, that there's no no going back, right? Mm. But uh, he went ahead and did so, you know, not thinking about professional wrestling yet. Then he was hired as a construction worker. Then fast forward about a uh, year, Bobby Brands from from America, w- along with Hawaiian promoter that uh, that uh, Al Karasik. They ran wrestling show, wrestling card for the tribute to the troops, GHQ. GHQ meant general headquarter, the American occupation for six years in Japan after mm-hmm. the war. There was like, we have to understand the real history of it. You know, there was a war between your country and my country. And for, <laughs> uh, for a couple of years afterwards, technically <clears throat> Japan was uh, not a state, but it was an occupied nation of the United States. Right for a six-year period, mm-hmm. yeah, until that the peace, uh, the agreement was signed in San Francisco in 1951, and became effect uh, 1955. Then effective, uh, uh, became effective of uh, uh, the, the spring of 1951. That I mean, only two weeks after that, wrestling came from America already. Right, so it's always had the same. Or a similar trajectory and a similar uh, pace, the rise of wrestling in Japan, and when GHQ was dismantled and Japan turned. And Japan became independent again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that probably has a a specific image 
for a lot of people. Uh, thinking about Ricky Dozon, thinking about sumo wrestling as a important part of that time in Japanese history, 1950s, uh, and to now. Yeah, but the sumo always, always, always existed though during mm. the war and after the war, and to this day. Yeah, but uh, Ricky Dozan didn't necessarily create professional wrestling in Japan. That the true, that the tribute to troop. Uh, by you know, the, led by Bobby Bruns of America and uh, Hawaiian promoter Al Karasik and, and the GHQ and the tribute to the troops in Japan. Because uh, even after the peace signing, that the American troop remained in the country for another few years, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's, there are the U.S. base to this day, you know? Of course, yeah. In, in Japan. And that uh, Bobby Bruns show had a, a, this... Uh, the Korean War already started, you know, 1950, and they were on their way to Korea for the for a tribute show. That uh, what's the big time um, boxing heavyweight champion? Uh, Joe Lewis. Yeah, Joe Lewis joined the show too. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And he was and, uh, doing a lot of that. <clears throat> He's making a lot of appearances with. with the troops and he'd make his way into pro wrestling too, making those. Yeah, yeah. So the Bobby Brown's wrestling show had uh, that uh, Joe Lewis in there too. So they had the, the September to November of 1951, Bobby Brown's along with, you know, the Obila Asselins to Harold Sakata to like seven American professional wrestlers ran their own show at the Memorial Palace. Memorial Palace was old sumo palace, actually. It's occupied, you know. But uh, that was the wrestling tour that the Ricky Dozan decided to join and trained under Bobby Bruns. And after two weeks of training, he debuted against his mentor, Bobby Bruns. 10-minute Broadway. Yeah. But the actual wrestling show with, I mean, like a promotion with Ricky Dozen, you know, the real famous 1954 Ricky Dozen, Masahiko and Sharp Brothers, that doesn't happen for another two years. Mm -hmm. Ricky Dozen was trained under Bobby Bruns in 19, you know, the September of 1951, and he made his debut after only two weeks. <clears throat> And he wanted to bring professional wrestling into the country, you know, to Japan. And uh, he had to convince his old small sponsors and, and uh, corporate sponsors, and I mean, to to make the wrestling you know, to make wrestling company, and to have, you know, to build the foundation to start professional wrestling in Japan. That the, the way he explained what American professional wrestling was, that the, this is Seiyo Zumo. This is Seiyo Zumo. Seiyo Zumo meant Western Sumo. Interesting, huh? Mm. So that was the way that Ricky Dozan got his sponsors to buy into the concept of pro wrestling. Yeah, it's a West. It's a Western Sumo. It's a big guy wrestling against one another, you know, and, and the, the champion, and there's a tournament, there's a championship to be defended, and the big crowd, big business, and, and all these things are very similar to what sumo wrestling is at the time. So it's like. A, 
that the, if you explain that to your sponsor or the you know money backers that this is going to be I'm going to bring in um, it's a whole new genre but it's better than sumo it's a western sumo with american in it say like, what what's the phrase again say your sumo say your sumo say your sumo western yeah. sumo western sumo so if you say if you tell that to people in Japan it's a western sumo you probably get the drift you know Hmm. It's like a short yeah, too big. Yeah, like a two big guy in uh, not the dohyo ring, but the wrestling ring. But it's the same concept, right in the middle of the big arena. The people surrounded 360 degrees, and then the big lighting, and uh, you know, entrance, and a referee. To uh, it's like, what's the difference, right? So very similar. When Rik Dozan and, and pro wrestling began. Not just uh, on television in Japan, but the live events. People at the live events, when they saw pro wrestling, what did they think, or how did they react to it? Did they did they interpret yeah, it like sumo? You, okay, well, we have to pause that right there. That the 1951 version of pro wrestling in Japan was the uh, that uh, was a tribute show for the troops for and the GHQ and American. You know, population was who were in Japan, and that it wasn't aimed for Japanese audience. Okay, then Ricky Dozan wanted to join. He debuted in front of smaller crowd because he wasn't that the concept wasn't there. Then he was sent to uh, he he went to America for a year and a half uh, to learn the uh, wrestling and the promotion side of it. And he learned to be the promoter. He learned to be the producer. He learned how to run the television production and how to run the year annual scheduling, the whole concept of wrestling company. Okay. That was 1952 and 53. Then that was beginning of television. And the beginning of television was also beginning of professional wrestling. And people in television industry, and some of the people didn't buy it, but some of these people said, well, this is going to be you know, what would change television, you know, that the television, TV itself was new, you know, but what would be on it? Uh, some of these sport people, like sumo people, were somewhat against the idea of being on television because if you can watch sumo on something called something new, right? Uh, television, then who's going to come and watch, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like NWA National Wrestling Alliance concept, you know, mm-hmm. from West Midwest, you know, uh, like, you know, like when NWA was formed, you know, if you can watch, if people can watch wrestling on television, nobody's going to come and watch us, right? The same mm-hmm. idea. But uh, beginning of television, you needed the killer content. And wrestling was right there. Ricky Dozen studied uh, t- TV in the in, in America, while he was trying, you know, training to be wrestler, training to be a promoter, and studying to be a TV producer, and he was all of it. Okay, and it was important for Ricky Dozan to be on television right away, right away. And uh, it was the beginning of TV that not regular household, you know, had TV. It was that. People of this like you know, Mitsubishi and these big electric companies, they build TV sets for you know regular home, right? But mm-hmm. nobody was buying it. Like it's way too expensive and new, and not enough wrestling show. I mean, not enough television show. They put 
TV sets in front of train stations and subway stations mm. or the bus stops or the in front of the electric store or the sober house, noodle mm. house, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That like, let's watch this thing called television. Um, you can watch TV at home. I mean, you can watch movies at home. And movies, of course, music, you know. And uh, Ricky Dozen was instrument, sort of like the, the very first killer content of television in this in, in Japan. That uh, that's why we call it beginning of television was beginning of wrestling, and and beginning of wrestling was beginning of television. Mm-hmm. TV made wrestling famous, but the wrestling made TV famous too. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And also, all in all, in 1951, 1952, 1953, in the beginning of wrestling, 1954, Ricky Dozen and Masahiko Kimura against Sharp Brothers on live television on primetime, um, they were looking for hero, you know? And on, only what, uh, eight, nine years after the war, they were looking for national hero. And it was a sports hero. And uh, Sharp Brothers, actually a Canadian tag team, you know, but uh, they were introduced as a, you know, world tag team champion from America. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true because they were they were world tag team champion in San Francisco, but they were never introduced as Canadian. Mm. You know, lose something, right? They had mm. to be American. Yeah. But anyhow, that uh, interesting enough that uh, Masahiko Kimura became professional wrestler outside of Ricky Dozen. Actually, that the uh, king of judo, uh, now that is the MMA, the, that uh, your double wrist lock, arm lock is called Kimura to this day, right? Mm-hmm. That Kimura. Masahiko Kimura had a professional judo, much, a lot like uh, professional wrestling later on, but uh, this professional judo idea didn't, you know, really make it. And he and Toshio Yamaguchi, another judoka, famous judoka, went to Hawaii to be judo instructor and to have judo exhibition in wrestling ring. And actually, uh, Toshio Yamaguchi and Masahiko Kimura were, were professional wrestlers without knowing it. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. It was because uh, they were they were put in the ring, in the, and, and so they learned the work. You know, it's like they always were that the issue of being work or being shoot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, all in all, that uh, Masahiko Kimura worked in the ring as a professional wrestler and learned the business outside of Rikidozo, and he was going to start wrestling in Japan too sooner or later. But it was the beginning of television. And uh, it was big sponsored primetime uh, television that the very first Ricky Dozen Kimura Masahiko, uh, Masahiko Kimura against Sharp Brothers match was broadcasted by two stations, NHK and Nippon TV. Isn't that interesting? NHK, NHK and though. Nippon TV. The first night, yeah. Mm. And uh, Nippon TV Channel 4 aired all three nights from Sumo Palace, yeah. But the very first night, very new, NHK even carried it. Like sport, professional sport, brand new professional sport from America. Like a post, I mean, essentially post-war culture had begun, huh? Hmm. Yeah, it was time after the war. And and like you said, it seemed like uh, the nation needed a, a powerful figure or icon after yeah or a superstar 
Yeah, and the uh, wrestling babyface is like the your <laughs> ultimate hero, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but people didn't have really have this babyface heel concept or good guy bad guy concept. It was like they they were watching wrestling like a competition. Of course, <laughs> NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The and the underlying, uh, not story, but the, it was always basically Japanese hero versus foreign invader. Yeah, yeah, but the, if you watch wrestling match from like a Sharp Brothers match, they didn't work like heel. You know, they were right, dignified. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was just that was just the the theme that was unspoken that was kind of in everybody's mind and that's kind of what yeah drove japanese, the psychology yeah. japanese new sport hero against big americans yeah, but the wrestling itself there wasn't what you would see with uh, someone like uh, gorgeous george and it was pretty athletic sports-like yeah and... yeah and uh, the 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 fanciest move was like a body slam mm-hmm yeah M maybe maybe uh yeah geez or drop no kick. maybe maybe drop kick mm -hmm. well, some guy did the drop kick or some guy didn't but there was maybe airplane speed maybe but there was no flying crossbody or anything like that or the tope or anything like that and those are had a karate chop to finish the guy but the Ricky Dozan could have wrestling move to to beat your opponent right but he was so smart that uh, it was go going to be a TV product and uh, the te on television you know it's not a big screen like movie that uh, your TV screen is rather small right mm -hmm. and at, people at the time was watching TV from like a 30 feet you know 30 years away <laughs> you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. at the train stations the subway stations bus stop or the restaurant bars that the, the TV sets was something precious that the, if you set the TV on your bar it's like this is going to be a TV night mm -hmm. or the pro rest night and uh, the people gather to watch Rick Dozen's wrestling show right and uh, they were not exactly sitting right in front of TV sets. I mean, rather far away, you know, like a living room far away. <clears throat> Ricky Dozen was so smart to invent that uh, karate chop that mm -hmm. uh, um, that's so easy to understand. The one connection is like a, the connect, you know, the karate chop that uh, connect to your opponent. That guy goes down for sure, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was right away there was idea. Is this real? Is this for real or is this for sure? You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. But 
it wasn't even an issue that the people wanted to watch Ricky Dozan win. Yeah, it was you know? a story they wanted to hear. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the uh, whole TV and the Ricky Dozan legacy. Actually, it's, that, uh, it seems a lot longer, like for 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 the next 20-year period or something. But it, Ricky Dozan's era only lasted 10 years. Hmm. Yeah, see, 1954, Ricky Dozan, Masahiko Kimura, and Sharp Brothers, beginning of television and beginning of wrestling, right, 1954. And he dies December of 1963, just what, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seemed to, you know, last a lot, you know, lot longer in people's mind, but it was only 10-year period. Then there was going to be color television era begins, and then there was going to be Giant Baba era. But the, for 10-year period, he was a hero of television, and he was more than wrestling hero. He made movies. He was on television all the time. That the, he had that his own Ricky Palace in a wrestling building built. That the, he was going to have golf, golf course. That the all the real estate, the Ricky Mansion, Ricky apartment. That the, he had an apartment. He had nightclubs. He had restaurants. All these things. He, he is. I mean, he had hands on all the jars. Interesting, huh? Total entrepreneur. <clears throat> But that's, yeah, Ricky Dozen himself is really, really great. But the, that's what happens to your star power aura during 50s and into early 60s. Huh? Was Ricky Dozen on color television? Were his matches broadcast in color television or were they? Very beginning of color, but the, not everybody had a color TV. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I, I feel they like I've tried never in like seen... A 60... Color picture of uh, color yeah, image of him. I, I've I don't seen think some, that exists that much. There's a little bit of footage out there, but generally, when I think of it, I, I think of he goes on black and white. The film he filmed in Hawaii or his With traveling, Luthes, yeah, yeah, or traveling to to New York or that like a beach in Hawaii, or he's getting out of airplane. That was filmed in color on purpose. But not actual wrestling matches like on TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In 1962, I guess we have to fast forward a little bit. But the 1962, they tried color television, and Freddie Blassie and Great Togo had this real—I mean, today's word—big juice, double juice, big bloody like blood fest, right? On television, and five, six people died watching it. Right. Right, they were yeah, so real. they were so terrified. Be, or, yeah, or... and then he was so oh, what do you call it? The the graphic for for the time, right? And of course, Freddie Blassie is a unique character too. He was, um, I mean, he, even he bites people. I, that's yeah, he was like a vampire, and yeah. uh, he had a, a really distinct look that I think stuck in sure. people's minds. Yeah, like a Dracula look he had. Mm-hmm. With the, the yeah. platinum blonde hair and the blood through it. And yeah, the crazy he made eyes. sure his tights was always white or pink and his you know, his, uh, Freddie Blass's hair was always bleached blonde because he bleeds. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, that tradition was carried all the way to Ric Flair. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gotta well, you have the today light too. Blonde, with Cody blonde. Rhodes. Oh, I suppose yeah. That the then when you bleed, you know, it's all red. 
and also great togo's you know trademark monica was to bleed too mm. <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah and after he you know had this bloodbath he gets up and smile and dance that's sickening right mm. <laughs> That was on primetime TV in summer, of spring of 1962. And some people or some electric place or store or the restaurant had the experiment color television sets that was on TV all bloody. And people watching it actually died all over the country. Mm. I mean, actually, like six people. Then that became the whole issue of television or uh having rest, such such thing called resting on television is that the right thing to have on television is bad for education mm. bad for youth bad for children bad for television itself bad for the sponsor he went right back to black and white mm. Mm. yeah and it was black and white till like probably 66 probably yeah yeah another three years they went right back to black and white see if you are old enough <laughs> not too many people are you know some of these you know like you have newspaper you know the television section mm -hmm. they tell you that the show if show was black and white or bl uh, color sure sure see some of like old old show like leave it to beaver mm -hmm. at the beginning it was black and white it became color later on Right, like, right. Like I Love Lucy was black and white first ten years or so. Then later on, it became full color. Sure, a lot. There were a lot of series that existed from uh, black and white, black and white color, color. Right, right. So wrestling was in that era too. That uh, Ricky Dozen era, all the way till like uh, Ricky Dozen against Destroyer mm -hmm. or Freddie Blassie single match program. It was all black and white or even the footage from olympic auditorium 1962 there was wwa worldwide wrestling associates world heavyweight title match in los angeles ricky, Do ricky dozen against freddy Basti. They, they they televised in japan but the footage was black and white in america even mm. Mm. <clears throat> So some of the shows, just like you said, Leave It to Beaver or uh, I Love Lucy or Ironside or some, you know, like a Perry Mason or some real TV show. The beginning was color, uh, black and white, and later on it became you know, color, right? Mm -hmm. So wrestling was the same way. Anyhow, wrestling really grew in Japan with television. Mm -hmm. And there was never, a, you know, like a TV studio matches with star wrestler against enhancement talent. It was always name wrestler against name wrestler on TV from uh, from the arena. Yeah. <clears throat> but what was unique about the today's main topic was how Ricky Dozen brought the sumo culture into professional wrestling in Japan. Mm. There's a hair system, you know, like a dojo system that the rookies and like a shindeshi, right? Mm. Rookies all lived in dojo. Small way of doing it, you know. They weren't being paid, but you can make living by living in like a stable of, you know, rookie stable of wrestler training and eating and sleeping, breathing. Again, that the you know, wake up and practice and work out and eat and sleep and you know, same thing over and over until you become somebody at the sumo system, right? Mm -hmm. And that the Nippon Pro Wrestling had that too. 
that the, all the young guys living in it. And actually, like half the wrestler in Ricky Dozen era came from sumo. You have Toyo Nobori, you have uh, Yoshino Sato, that, uh, or even the grand champion Azuma Fuji was a professional wrestler for a while. Some of these people came from judo, like a Kokichi Endo, or mas- early you know, Masahiko Kimura and Toshio Yamaguchi. But a lot of these people, uh, uh, that the early wrestler came from directly from sumo world. Kiyomigawa, that the Suruga Umi, that the lot of lot of guys. And actually, younger sumo wrestlers, you know, looking at Ricky Dozan and thought, I want to do that instead of this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Toyo Nobori and the Yoshino Sato later on became stars, right? Yeah, sure. They were like Ricky Dozan's protege back in 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 the sumo days too. They wanted to follow, you know, like a, like a big brother, Ricky Dozan, I want to join you. And they were like, well, like people like Yoshino Sato's case, he debuted as a wrestler days after he joined because he was already a sumo wrestler and named sumo wrestler and uh, didn't know much wrestling, but uh, he was big enough and tough enough and strong enough and uh, has a condition to work in the ring. Put him in the ring. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. was a different style that was uh, you know, people were doing back then, and you really had to have some sort of athletic background before. Of course, of course. Either you are either judo or sumo, huh? I guess that's it, right? Unless you're, yeah. fr- and that's excluding um, people from out but of the country. Young, 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 young Hiro Matsuda was a baseball player in a in a, in a truck. Oh, seventeen year. Giant Bob baseball player, but the major league baseball player, like uh, mm. Giants, you know, he was like a golden rookie. Whereas uh, 17-year-old Antonio Inoki, who was discovered in Brazil by Ricky Dozen, he was shot putter, truck runner. Mm. Yeah. But the uh, tall, young, gifted athlete, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, so Inoki, Kanji Inoki, before he was Antonio Inoki. 17-year-old Inoki was very like rare case that uh, this is this guy is going to be somebody. Mm. Ricky Dozen knew it. And he, too, that the 17-year-old Ricky uh, Inoki was living at Ricky Dozen's home. I mean, same house, mm. you know? Kind of like your stable, you know, or that, uh, yes, yeah, st- you know, Ricky Dozen had his, his stable of young wrestlers that... Uh, Young seventeen-year-old, you know, Inoki didn't even li- live in, in, in at the dojo that the, Ricky Dozen made him living at his house, but also worked as butler too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of what you gave. I mean, you would sacrifice all of that because you would get in return. You wouldn't have to pay your day, you know, monthly bills. You would have a roof over your head. You'd have food. You'd be taken care of in general your responsibility though would be to the house and also Ricky Dozen brought the sumo culture another way that the, in Japanese res- pro wrestling dojo they eat chanko food mm, that's right after practice yeah yeah cause sumo food I mean to gain away you know like you have pound and pound of rice you eat and the vegetable and right vegetable and meat and chicken and fish and boil up and you just eat the quantity of food every day every meal right to mm-hmm. put on weight and that's a small tradition that the Ricky Dozen carried from small world into pro wrestling yeah and I think uh, even today you see a lot of 
wrestlers, both pro wrestlers and sumo wrestlers, as they get older, they, they, they stop, they're not as active. Some of them get very, very into making food and making chanko nabe. Yeah, oh, the, the, the open the chanko restaurant. Yeah, open a chanko restaurant. A lot of sumo yeah. wrestlers. Uh, a lot of own. sumo wrestlers do. And if you get off on 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 the Ryogoku Station on JR, you see tons of tons of chanko restaurant to this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where all oh, the even, action is. Yeah, and uh, even today's prof- you know pro wrestling dojo, I mean modern pro wrestling dojo in this era, they still eat chanko food at the wrestling dojo. Mm-hmm. I heard it's that healthy... um, Kuniaki Kobayashi is, is sort of uh, well. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's his... a good chef, yeah. real good chef. And doesn't he make uh, the nabe at New Japan's dojo still? Yeah, but he was never he was a sumo wrestler. Right, he right. came to New Japan Dojo in Kuniaki Kobayashi. I'm talking about. He came to New Japan Dojo in 1972 when he was like 16, 15, 16. And Tayo Nobori looked at him and said, "You should go to sumo." But uh, that the uh, 16-year-old Kobayashi said, "No, I don't want the big belly." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, Tayo Nobori apparently thought that Kobayashi would make great sumo. <laughs> But uh, mm. Kobayashi mean, was yeah, like he yeah, learned how to how to cook you know all the ch- you know, different flavor chanko, and he was chanko also include steak and and uh, ch- chicken barbecue and all those things. Chanko doesn't mean chanko doesn't mean it that you know big you know what do you call the big pan or that the hot pot. Yeah, not just that, but the chanko means otochan and okachan and tochan, kachan, everybody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, Father, mm-hmm. mother, and kids, they all eat out of that pan, you know? So that's chanko. That's the origin of the word. Otochan and kachan and nichan and, you know, nechan and all that, you know? Uh, if you didn't pick up pick up the word, it's like a father, mm, and a mother, and yeah, and then sister and brother and all these things. Tochan kachan, it's all chans. That's you. Somebody call you uh, Justin Chan, maybe? <laughs> uh no. If they did, they were probably trying to make fun of me. But uh, not really. Yeah, you but know, the you know, Chan is a friendly, but... friendly name. Yeah, it's okay? it's a diminutive. You, you say it to. Um, gosh, how, how do you explain it to? It's kind of like, um, you know, you have the name Michael, but if you're younger, Mikey, Mikey exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or James and Bob. Jimmy, Jimmy, Bobby, yeah, Bobby, yeah. It's not exactly Tommy. the same, but it's the the same very similar um, feeling. You get the same. Well, some feeling. people call me Fumichan. I, well, you know, I, I'm not a fluent Japanese speaker, so I, I can't. I don't think my experience uh, is worth. <laughs> speaking too much about but yeah but anyway it, basically what it meant is it's a it's a endearing way of addressing someone yeah. you know so all the chans are eating the the chanko food at uh, your same pan you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, that the chanko culture was transferred from sumo world into professional world and also ricky dozen brought all the inside term from sumo wrestling into professional wrestling Oh yeah, like way, which which words? Oh, like uh, gotsan or you know shiko or teppo or uh, kimboshi or hoshi or the girlfriend, the fiance, mm-hmm. the uh, 
you know, drop the card, meaning like you you know, you throw a fight. Uh, that uh, mm. all these inside terms came from from sumo into mm. wrestling world. And the, they stay to sumo, this day? Uh, all the wrestlers still use it. Mm. Yeah. Or the traditionalists like Jado Gedo still use it on purpose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like how do you, you know, like call somebody's girlfriend Hoshi means star, or the Kitamuku, like uh, facing north, meaning like you got, you're pissed. You know, mm-hmm. it's like all these inside term. This is when you have inside term, there's like a, almost like a closed society. Only the inner circle knows what you're talking about. Right. And yeah. sumo has a lot of that too. In its yeah. Right. Oh, of course. I mean, the whole vocabulary of it, the whole dictionary of it. And Ricky Dozen brought the inside term of sumo wrestling into pro wrestling. And therefore, outsiders don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. That too is very similar. Similarity between sumo wrestling and professional wrestling. Like a, you... Like almost like a kayfabe, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like a kayfabe in a similar word is like a bonaka in small in the similar term. Yeah, it's every single one of those words still exist. Hmm. Yeah, don't necessarily use it anymore. It's uh, sixty years later, but uh, I I have the whole whole chart of words, you know, that uh, uh, that small inside term that uh, means. Like, I mean, that some of these inside terms became regular words, like a gachi, meaning like a shoot. But it's like today's young people use it like a gachi day. It's like, do you know what you're talking about? It's like a seriously in like a Japanese slang. Uh, 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 yeah, I see. Yeah. So uh, that the language, inside language existed. And uh, what I'm talking about is like a small inside term and pro wrestling insert term was so similar that the Rikitos and brought all the vocabulary over to wrestling. Isn't that interesting? And you can see it that when you know that, you can see that it's in the DNA of pro wrestling in Japan. <clears throat> from yeah. Sumo, from Sumo. Yeah, but the mentality was similar. That's why. Mm. You know, because you don't let people in. Because... Ricky Dozen's professional wrestling was always been professional wrestling, meaning work. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But you don't want outsider to know anything about it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was always Ricky Dozen's era. It was always treated like people talk about being like a show or being openly say, but that's fake, right? So mm-hmm. They all the the the. the the mentality was always there or the people's general understanding of this wrestling being a show business or the somewhat entertainment, sometimes real, sometimes not. That's how they understood. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like 1950s, 1960s professional wrestling in America. You know, people wonder about it. It was was not fully exposed like today's wrestling. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. yeah, so that the, it was very, very similar from right from the get go. And even down huh? to the the training techniques, I feel like uh, the system for warming up, um, squats, splits, squats, uh, thousand of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and the <clears throat> conditioning and repetition practice. Uh, the the but way- the Japanese people put more seriousness into it. That's why somebody like a Carl Gotch, who was almost outcast in American wrestling scene because he was so serious in training, but the, 
Carl Gotch was brought in 1962 that he fit right right in. Like a Japanese wrestler wanted to be, be trained by Carl. Mm. And that goes all the way to 90s or the year 2000. Not, not just Ricky Dozen era, but uh, Inoki was trained under Ricky Dozen. I mean, uh, Carl Gotch, uh, the, the Sakaguchi, uh, all, all Fujinami, Ricky Choshu, all the way to like Akira Maeda to Masakatsu Funaki to Minoru Suzuki. To, 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 it's almost today's wrestlers. Mm-hmm. That the Korogach philosophy, you know, came and stayed in Japan. That's why he's a god of wrestling in Japan, huh? And you can tell how wrestling slowly got farther and farther away from sumo roots in general. It, it evolved yeah, well, today's, into what it is. Today's New Japan pro wrestling, yes. But uh, the DNA is all there. And, and a lot of uh, really important pro wrestlers from Japan were sumo wrestlers before they were pro wrestlers not yeah, just a lot of them. uh grant you got three or four grand champion sumo wrestler turned professional wrestlers first i talked about azuma fuji right mm-hmm. grand champion azuma fuji and was uh was ricky dozen's tag team partner for three-year period then quit again then there was um hiroshi wajima in baba's era remember mm-hmm. wajima yeah. But he had six years after retirement, and he had a big dip or something, and then he wanted to make money and wanted to be wrestler. And Channel 4, uh, Nippon TV, loved the idea of Wajima becoming a professional wrestler. So he was put in the main event situation right away. The debut match was against Taiga Jit Singh, main event. You know, the first year, Wajima already had a title match against Ric Flair or something, you know. Then there was... Then there was uh, Koji Kitao, if you remember. Yeah, he was a big deal. He, I, I, I saw him. He debuted at Tokyo Dome against Bam Bam Bigelow, the perfect opponent for somebody, like, something like that, right? Right, right. Yeah. He was introduced to me when I was really young because I remember him at WrestleMania Seven. I mean, they were. Oh, okay, okay. Him and, him okay. and, Tem, him and Tenru were. Tenru were, came in. Yeah. Tenru wasn't wasn't uh, Grand Champion, but he was also Makuchi. That, that's uh, right. That the top forty, you know the sumo grand you know, the, the uh, top 40 cluster you know mm-hmm. then he higher turned ranked. To, the high ranked and but the tenru turned prof- to, to be professional wrestler when he was 26 young enough and was sent to you know, amarillo texas trained under funks the transition was great you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and then the, you had you had akebono that's know, right the hawaiian american also small Yokozuna grand champion turned uh, professional wrestler. But he chose K1 first, remember? That's right. He did yeah, do... Akebono. Well, but what kind of sumo wrestler would be a good kickboxer? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was also at the time when K1 was one of the, maybe the top promotion in the world. And also, like, uh, was always on primetime television special, you know? And then also, you'd be, you'd be making... Um, mega amount of money per match with K1. Whereas, mm-hmm. if you sign with wrestling company, you'd be working all year long, you know. And then right. annual, you know, like uh, you signed for half million dollar contract, but that's for one year, and you might be making uh, that kind of money with one or two matches with K1 at the time. And also, his family. In Akebono's family was against the idea of him becoming a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. See, Akebono admits that he was big wrestling fan growing up, you know, in Hawaii. 
every Saturday afternoon there was wrestling, all the kids are gone from the street because you go to somebody's house and watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was big wrestling fan as a kid, and he wanted to take on. Uh, professional wrestling, and he, which he did a little bit. I mean, after K1. Yeah, he did even. Um, it wasn't just K1. I remember he had tried a, MMA tried fight, rising. Oh, oh God! Bob, Bob ah, yeah, yeah, that era, yeah. Mm. But he was already famous that he was put in the ring because he was such a celebrity, former grand champion sumo wrestler. And spoke two languages. He spoke, of course, English and fluent Japanese. And a big, huge superstar. And everybody knew Akebono. You know, then people wanted to watch what he tries next after mm. sumo. You know, and uh, he was rating magic. You know, and uh, yeah. But that MMA and you know K1 type kickboxing career would only last a year or so, right? Mm. You could only have what a 10 to 15 fight. Uh, out of your life, you know, and uh, finally he became professional wrestler. He always wanted to see if he turned pro wrestler, Akebono turned pro, pro wrestler right after uh, pro uh, sumo career. That he probably had a longer career as a professional wrestler, mm. and also he would, would have been loved like uh, he 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 could have done like Abdullah the Butcher style, you know, kind of overweight almost, but he can be like really loved, you know what I'm saying? You think so? Oh, yeah, because he, he moved, you know, like really charming. He's diving, you know, like a splash, the, the diving headbutt or the, I mean, like a, he emphasizes his body and body size. And uh, he, he, yeah, in professional wrestling, he he had better aura as a wrestler than, uh, than the MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I, mean, like, I had the chance, just, just so happened, I got to see him in pro wrestling settings a number of times when i lived in japan for yeah. couple, like all japan or big japan or wrestle yeah One. yeah uh he was teaming with yotahama for a while who's another sumo another sumo wrestler yeah um he's i mean the thing that people got to realize about akebono is how tall he is too he's a very yeah he's a big Big, big guy. Uh, is he... Yeah, when he does an elbow drop or something, it's like, it looks like you killed the guy, right? Yeah, it's the elbow drop is exactly the image that comes to my mind from watching yeah. him at those shows. That huge. Elbow That's what drop. I said about the like Abdul the Butcher style. Yeah, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah, like a big. It's like a elbow drop or the what do you, what we call a flying sausage i mean just splash Big splash that, yeah yeah that can be just finished right there simple sure yeah um and also he looked like he was enjoying doing it right i think so unless he you yeah, know he had an injury k1 situation and the pride and the mma situation he didn't look like he was enjoying himself i mean those were uh <clears throat> some of those matches were just brutal I I, it, I wouldn't want to watch them again, but I, there were big deals at the time, and they were real. I remember, mm-hmm. of course. I and remember. also, if it was MMA or K1 or the Pride or you know kickboxing fight, network television will carry the show on your prime time. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Akebono was, yeah. Oh, oh. I Go was ahead. just gonna say that Akebono too. Just his name alone holds even more weight than. Other kickboxers at the time, MMA fighters. Oh God, at the time. yeah. I mean, he was uh, he's it was the big 
name. He was the name oh, of the real 90s. big name, real big name. Yeah. And he had love for pro wrestling and he wanted to do as a kid and he finally did. And uh, while he was doing it, I think he was success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Azuma Fuji, Hiroshi Wajima, Koji Kitao, and Akebono, four grand champion sumo wrestler, Yokozuna status. That the Yokozuna meaning grand champion, not the Rodney Yokozuna, but mm. the Yokozuna ranking sumo wrestler turned professional wrestler. All four of them. Yeah, it was yeah mixed bag, but uh, still celebrity and success and rating and and the people. Yeah. We should go back and talk about Koji Kitao again because he's <clears throat> one of those uh, sumo experiments that went kind of the other way. Yeah, I guess he had a different idea of professional wrestling that he wanted to do like Hulk Hogan and he wanted to do it right away. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> seemed know? to not, he didn't have the same kind of love that Akebono had for pro wrestling. Right, right. Especially growing um, up. Yeah, he thought probably like after being Yokozuna in sumo wrestling and retired rather young and uh, everybody wanted him to be be pro, pro wrestler. Like uh, it was like a money written all over him, right? Mm. And uh, he wanted to dress like Hulk Hogan. He wanted to work like Hulk Hogan. He was doing the leg drops and, uh, you know, like a ripping T-shirt and all these things that he was like a laughable, right? Almost, you know. And the people really hated him because of it, you know? It just worked against it, right? Like, he thought he would look like Hulk Hogan when people didn't think he did. And uh, But the New Japan, actually, he, he never really belonged to, I mean, not, not signed. He, he wasn't signed the, the exclusive contract with New Japan. He had another company, you know, like entertainment company in between. And that, that entertainment company signed with New Japan. Therefore, it wasn't direct. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. on tour situation, you'd be on the tour bus, right? Mm-hmm. And the Kitao alone had to be on the bus himself. Then there was a big falling out with then big booker Riki Choshu. He didn't respect Riki Choshu. You know, it was a this is a real bad thing that the booker in wrestling is somebody that the boss in your dressing room is giving everybody finish. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Kitao, him, you know, apparently felt that he was above that. Not good, huh? He came in with um, a much different idea of the pro wrestling, like the system. Like he, you know, coming from sumo. Well, if it was work, but he felt that the, if it was all work, that he should be the winner or he should be the champion right away. Right. All given. And it wasn't no such way that. Uh, you know, Booker Ricky Choshu put Kitao with Big Van Vader in the ring. <laughs> he didn't understand that the business side of it didn't seem like it, he seemed like he treated everything like it was still a sport. Or if it was work, he should be put in the put over. Right, right. He... Yeah. But uh, professional wrestling is a lot more complicated than that. And Ricky Choshu gave him an answer. All right, okay, have a single match against Vader. You know, and <laughs> Vader is not going to be easy on you, right? Mm. And also, just as big, every bit as big as Kitao, physically, and experienced, great timing, execution, uh, even uh, expression, that uh, 
the people took Vader big heel at the time, right? But for the single match against Kitao only, that the situation, people are cheering Vader like crazy. Beat Kitao, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, because <clears throat> it's almost like, you know, Kitao was the outsider in the situation. Yeah, and then he didn't really mingle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, for the debut match against Bam Bam Bigelow, Bam Bam Bigelow was there to do business. Perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But that made Bam Bam Bigelow famous in Japan overnight. Everybody knew Bam Bam Bigelow right away. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. he lost the match, but he was doing cartwheels and doing this and doing this. All the charming Bam Bam Bigelow spot. It's like, I love this guy, right? I mean, he yeah. looked like nothing else anywhere in the world, not just in Japan, but in the States. I mean, he was one of those... He, very he special. Very memorable. Oh, yeah. Talking about Bam Bam Bigelow, see, he was like uh, the ideal wrestler to do that, you know, business. Or the, I wouldn't want to say job, basically job. But uh, Kitao against Bam Bam Bigelow, right? Mm -hmm. When... New Japan brought the former Soviet Russian Olympic wrestler like Hashimikov, mm -hmm. you know, he was put in the ring with Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow do that, you know? Mm. Or the, if you remember WrestleMania 11 or 10, that the LT, Lawrence Taylor. Of course. That Famous Bam main event. Of WrestleMania, Bam Bam Bigelow was the person to do so. Yeah. And so, and it wasn't a disaster. It was a really amazing. It looks like a regular match. He made Lawrence Taylor Credit look pretty to competent. Ben Bigelow. Right. That's yeah. I mean that. So, Russian Hashimikov, the Yokozuna Kitao, and uh, LT. That's that's like a Ben Ben Bigelow's legacy right there. So Bigelow's fine with Kitao, but uh, Leon White Vader, he that's completely another story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. He was ready to chew him up in the ring, legally. <laughs> Not legally, but, uh, you know, it's a work, but uh, you do everything so stiff and snug that uh, Kitao didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And later on, there was a, after, after he, you know, quit New Japan, there was, he turned into, you know, Kitao turned into karate fighter, and uh, he worked, you know, UWFI. And there was a famous single match, Nobuhiko Takada against uh Kitao. that's right then, uh, famous and, knockout uh, famous knockout yeah it's like takao takada was all ready to do so and uh he did what he did and uh it was the end of kitao's story you know and uh he didn't become the star he could have been yeah see the yokozuna grand champion sumo wrestler turning into sumo is always very complicated story see the hiroshi wajima grand champion sumo wrestler didn't quite make it as a star as a wrestler you know he wasn't uh yeah the I mean, wrestling it wasn't very um i guess what is it he didn't There's... understand wrestling over the match because he was never a wrestling fan you know? that, and his the his kind of athleticism is not what was really what what he needed for pro wrestling. He wasn't very and also he was almost forty when he turned pro wrestler. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But he was rating 
thing that uh, Baba didn't probably didn't want him that much, but uh, it was prime time that uh, Nippon TV Channel 4 was all ready to put all Japan programming on seven o'clock at night, prime time back again. They needed some star, and they wanted to recruit somebody like Wajima. It was a perfect timing, you know. But mm -hmm. only lasted two years altogether. Yeah. 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 So it's a mixed bag. But the, uh, Tenru wasn't grand champion, but the, he turned into super pro wrestler. Yeah. Mm. And he's, yeah, he's big, definitely... I success. Mean, yeah. Oh, the most yeah. successful uh, former sumo wrestler. Yeah. He, there are I, so many of them. Like Akira Taue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Akira yeah. 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 Oh, we, we actually forgot to mention when we were talking about Koji Kitao, there was one instance he had a famous kind of falling out right before the takata ko it was with him and john tenta in japan oh wow see for kitao's eyes john tenta uh, physically big huge right mm. but uh, he was super low-ranking sumo wrestler and right. in kitao's mind he's still yokozuna the grand champion ranking wrestler and uh, the booker WWF Booker, the Tokyo Dome and the Kobe, you know, the big, huge, big house, big show, right? That uh, big jump Tenta was put over on Kitao and Kitao wasn't happy at all. You know, he wasn't about to do it, you know? And he grabbed the house mic and said, it's all fake. It's like, what? You're fake, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not something then, that the fans, well, I mean, how did the fans react to that? Did they know what was even going on? But he grabbed the house house mic and go went on his own business, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it wasn't scripted that the Kitao, you know, made up, you know, like a mic calls, you know, grabbed the house mic and said that this is so fake, you know. It's like it just, but the John Tenta handled himself very well there, mm. and uh, according to John Tenta himself. After he went back to, uh, you know, America, and then he, they, all the boys heard a story. There was a shoot, right? And then uh, it's like everybody at from WWE dressing respected him more after that. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. At the Kobe show, what was interesting uh, that the Kitao and John Tenta match that the American dressing room was all ready to have a, you know, like a real backstage bra that. Uh, Hulk Hogan, Randy Matchman Savage, Bret Hart, all these guys, they cleared the desk and all the, 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 it was all ready to you know, welcome Kitao for the fist fight. Isn't mm -hmm. that interesting? That like was the camaraderie. old school. Yeah, the old oh, school. The, talking about, but Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Bret Hart, people like that, they were all ready to fight. Protect the business. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. No, I mean, it was a completely, I mean, that's what, it's a complete disrespect of the industry. And, and he essentially. And the Kitao was very much stranger uh, in that, you know. He was never completely a professional wrestler, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it was interesting, yeah. Yeah, I remember that because it was a SWS, that the Super World Sports, that the money company that only existed for you know, like a two-year period, that the Tenru was signed, and the SWS stole dozens of wrestlers from all Japan, and all Japan, you know, had to switch all the lineup, and, and that's how Misawa and Kawada, Kobashi, all became huge superstars because people supported that the. the 
at one point like almost skeleton you know crew right mm-hmm. but uh yeah um uh, that made old japan new era it's very ironic that the big money company sws didn't really make it you know but uh, tenru himself alone was a star but they, everything else just fell apart and uh the, the John Tenta Kitao, uh, the match or the shoot thing was very, very symbolic in that. Yeah. And like you mentioned, interesting. I almost forgot about that, you know, because you know why? Because at the time, uh, my our magazine, Weekly Pro Wrestling or Baseball Magazine, show, was banned from SWS show, and I didn't go to the show. Really? Yeah. 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 Mm magazine and the sws company super world sports company had a big fight that the, our magazine were was not welcome at their show then we didn't print it you know and mm-hmm. only gong magazine you know covered it you know mm-hmm. but if it weren't if the man that the both magazine covered the event it wasn't a big deal you know what i'm saying right it made gong look like exclusive on the front cover yes exclusive but it was like something wrong with it you know it's on one magazine the other magazine didn't have it it's like people knew something was really really wrong in that picture mm. Mm. yeah it was very beginning of 90s yeah yeah so a lot of things came up but uh we, today we're talking about the sumo elements in japanese pro wrestling a lot of it, huh? Not just Rikidozan era, but all the way to Kitao era, to all the way to Akebono era. Ah, oh, interesting. Sure, like you mentioned, Akira Taoe, even it wasn't just in New Japan, it was all Japan too. There's Taoe came from uh, Sumo. Um, yeah. Even today, there's uh, the younger guys, pro wrestling Noah Yoshiki Inamura was from Sumo, the All Japan's Saito brothers are from Sumo. Oh, they were the former Sumo. Not high ranking, but no. the tall. Real tall, good-looking two guys, yeah, brothers, yeah. But they're they're very uh, Saito brothers. I hear they're like a really adventurous kind. That the, they weren't even small fan. They just tried small wrestling for ten years when they were young, mm-hmm. yeah. And they wanna travel the world and see the world. And now they, you know, tra- transitioned themselves into professional wrestler and spent six months in America. Now came back and they are full-fledged, like a full-time pro wrestler now. You know, mm. very interesting. The Saito brothers is somebody to, yeah, look for. Yeah, just uh, they will be very interesting. Yeah. Um, and earlier you mentioned uh, we were talking about Bam Bam and LT at WrestleMania 11, but that also reminded me at WrestleMania later on, if we fast forward, there was a big sumo element one year akebono against big show yeah and yeah that was probably sumo one of the... association wasn't happy about it but uh, after they uh, had a result because it wasn't really scripted they really had a sumo match mm. you know as big as big show was no match for akebono if you had a sumo match yeah they put on the mawashi tights like your sling, right? The, yeah, the, the sling, the, the belt with the OB, the belt around the waist. And the, the whole thing, yeah, yeah. And they really had the sumo match. And uh, it was even for a while, but uh, when Akebono got serious, whew, no match. Yeah, Of course. Yeah, right. There was a sumo match during WrestleMania. It was only 10 years ago or so. 
I think maybe a little bit more than that. But a little yeah, bit longer, right? yeah. But yeah. still, Akebono actually traveled to America and worked, you know, WrestleMania against. It has to be somebody like Big Show, you know. And that was kind of between his MMA and pro wrestling uh, in Japan. Right, right. So he pretty much decided to go with pro, pro wrestling then. Yeah, it was very mm. interesting. So it was like also during very much, you know, the, the dark era, you know, of professional wrestling in Japan too, though. That uh, the time wasn't the greatest, you know, mm. for pro wrestling. <clears throat> yeah. We should also talk about, since we're on the topic of uh, WWE, uh, wrestlers like Yokozuna, not the grand champion, but the, the wrestler. Uh, Rodney uh, Anuai. Yeah. 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 Or, or and also Rikishi. Rikishi. Yeah, cousin Rikishi. Rikishi means sumo wrestler in Japanese language right there. Mm-hmm. Rikishi. Yeah. And his gimmick was essentially the, the original the same gimmick. gimmick yeah. at first. Yeah. Right. With Mawashi, Obi, and all that sumo, mm-hmm. you know, get up, yeah. Banzai drop. Banzai drop, yeah. And in, in, in also a stink, stink face. Stink face, yeah. <laughs> yeah, using into... your butt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really pulling up the uh, Mawashi. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But then he kind of turned into... But that's a, a, the comic, uh, comical, you know, element yes. aspect of sumo wrestling that, that is like American interpretation of sumo. Mm-hmm. So the sumo is very interesting, you know. So the real sumo tournaments going on right now, and uh, yeah, yeah, that tradition is still there. The sumo wrestling exists, and professional wrestling, you know, the coexist in Japan. Mm-hmm. So now it's like a completely different, you know, the Kazuchika Okada look. nothing like sumo wrestler, you know. Of you know, like a, yeah, Naito, Tanahashi, none of them, are, you know, like had sumo influence. Uh, but, but you know, uh, we we should mention. Chiyono Fuji, because he was one of the first sumo wrestlers to kind of look more like had a wrestler. Because he was the very first sumo wrestler who had the weightlifting, uh, the, the weight training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he adapted. And if people don't know who Chiyono Fuji is, he was a, uh, a, a grand sumo. champion for 10 years. Oh, one of the greatest sumo ever. Yeah. Very popular. Also, if you're not familiar with sumo, he was the uh, kind of basis for the character E. Honda in Street Fighter. Oh, okay. Oh, he, for the game, just game, as video Zangief game, was. Uh, video game generation. Okay. Yes, uh, it, they wanted a, a muscular sumo wrestler, and uh, yeah, and then also very friendly with professional wrestling. If you remember, a magazine had a story that the Stan Hansen, uh, you know, went to visit Chiyono Fuji at his Kokonoe Dojo. You know, mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Also, I took Korogachi to Kokonoe Bear uh, that the morning practice, five o'clock in the morning, and uh, that the Kitano Fuji knew who Korogachi was. And uh, the Korogachi himself was a big sumo fan. And there were people in Japan that videotaped all the you know tournament matches and sent it to uh, to Korogachi every you know every tournament. And he was watching it at home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big sumo fan. Yeah. Like it's basically like a deadlifter, you know. Like a, you put a, you know, put put arm, you know, both arm on your mawashi, and you deadlift the guy and carry him out of the out of the sumo ring. You know, mm. that's like you sumo wrestler don't look anything like, well, a lot like uh, that, uh, like a power lifter, you know, with yeah, big he, gut. I I think uh, he was very <clears throat> ahead of his time, I guess, in terms of uh, training conditioning, and he really did look like. Uh, he was unique because he looked believable 
as uh, a sumo wrestler who could take out really big, fat sumo wrestlers. Oh, you're um, talking about Chiyono Fuji? Chiyono Fuji, he, yeah. he was like a super good looking guy. He know? looked like, a, yeah, I mean, he had, I, do you imagine? Like a samurai. If, he looked, or mean, a movie like star. A to life. Yeah, yeah. And do you think if he chose to do pro wrestling, he would have been a success? He probably was too big of a star to turn into pro wrestling. I mean, if he can run his own company and start his own league or something, maybe. But it was like, see, Ricky Dozan wasn't Yokozuna, you see. he If he was Yokozuna, uh, Ricky Dozan was a grand champion in sumo, there was no pro wrestling in Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's different. Once you hit the the highest ranking Yokozuna status in sumo wrestling, there's no, there's no going back. But you you'll stay in sumo society forever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You become part of the, you know, that the, you be on the board, you be on the executive of sumo association, or you run your own sumo bear uh, and have your own stable of sumo wrestler, and you'll be with sumo world forever. Mm-hmm. But the Ricky Dozan was a kind of a loner. You know, and uh, and also something to do with his, you know, that the ethnic background too. That he'll be loner. That the, he will take up on uh, like a more almost like an entrepreneur type of you know approach. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he brought American style professional wrestling in Japan. He knew what the television was at the time. He knew what how to run uh, like a year. You know, it got mixed with small tradition of running tournaments, you know, like a world league and, you know, chasing for the world title for like a start with you know, Japan, the heavyweight championship against Masahiko Kimura. Then you go to King Kong and then beat Asian champion. Then eventually go to Luthes and challenge for the world title at the Korakin Stadium. It was like a 10 year history of it. And uh, Ricky Dozan had his own, like, um, like almost like an accident, but the, uh, uh, like a wrestling storyline for 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the small culture was within that Ricky Dozan era of professional wrestling. Sure. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Um, it's like the mafia. I'm telling you, it's a, you know, <laughs> I guess yeah. once you're in, you're, you're never out. No, it's a closed uh, community. Society. But, yeah. And uh, again, it's... And have an inside language altogether. Yeah. Mm. And different, uh, expectations and different code of ethics than regular people. Right. Different code of it. Yeah. Behave right. A certain way. I, there's always people, I don't know if they realize this, but the outside of the, sumo dohyo is usually a little more exciting uh, in terms of story if you want a storyline because it's quite dramatic outside of uh the action the drama between stables and scandals and money disappearing um oh the gamblers (laughs) gamblers or i I heard a story over the pandemic there was a, a, a sumo wrestler who went out to uh Host this joint. Host this club when uh, yeah. he when you're yeah you're supposed to be home, right? It was curfew for everybody, and uh, I mean, like, uh, in in the in the rules outside of I mean, in the regular reg, you know like a real world out there don't apply to them or something. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And, and there and, and there is, <clears throat> would you say like throughout the years? I mean, do people. In Japan, do they view the sumo as kind of almost like a elevated sort of citizen or special uh, Not status? Not above, but uh, very different society in itself. 
in their own society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Once、um, you're small, you're small, you live in a small society, huh? Yeah. I don't know how to express this because we're on a podcast, but、uh, if you've ever been around sumo wrestler when they're out in public, they even have a, their own smell that kind of. Oh, that's, a, that's a oil. That's a grease that they put on the hair. hair. And yeah, it has a、yeah. very, very. b i n z a m e yeah. b i n z a m e It's like、yeah. a perfume smell or, or something like that. It's And also, they, were, they still wear kimono. Yep. And yeah, get、uh, yeah. out in public. Sure. Yeah, they're all different culture. Yeah.、Uh, and even the、um, foreigners who become sumo wrestlers, they, they do the full on、uh, immersion into Japanese culture. Yeah. Then also, they are put in a situation where nobody speaks any English. They all, a foreign wrestler, sumo wrestler, they all speak or learn how to speak Japanese fluently. huh?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Whereas American style professional wrestler, even living in Japan, sometimes they don't pick up the language. you know? <laughs> Some did. More, more so these days.、Mm-hmm, more so、mm-hmm. these days. But,、um, well, generally, it, it just wasn't expected. Yeah. Well, actually, Stan Hansen. Actually, spoke pretty good Japanese, but didn't let anybody know about it. <laughs>、mm. He was just in Japan recently, wasn't he? He still is. Yeah,、oh, he's still there. Yeah, they're doing a talk show event and uh, that uh, photo events and、uh, talk show events, like all five, six days in a row this week still. Yeah.、Uh, people, it's been three years. I mean, he, last time he was here was like a 19. Yeah. And、uh, because of pandemic, it was postponed, and、uh, he finally is here in town. And he made an appearance at the, at the Budokan show, at the All Japan's you know, Budokan, first time in 18, 20 years.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, he, yeah, he was in the ring. All gray hair, though, now. Yeah. But still had a cowboy hat on. He still looked like Stan Hansen.、Mm, still did the、uh, youth. Youth! Yes. That's right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, almost he's built like sumo wrestler too in his prime time. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, had a lot to do with his popularity. If you think about it, you know, he was never looking like bodybuilder type. You know, he looked more like sumo wrestler. He looked like a fighter. He looked like a, a believably tough monster. I mean, I think that's probably from his football background.、Uh, he was built to knock people yeah, over. Yeah, but the, when you notice Stan Hansen, Steve Williams, Mm-hmm. Terry Gordy, Bam Bam Bigelow, Scott Norton, Vader, they all look like sumo wrestlers somewhat.、Mm-hmm. Even,、uh, I don't, are you familiar with Jonah in New Japan? Yeah. He, oh, yeah. Today's, yeah. He, he yeah, looks like he a, could get right in there and,、uh, and become a sumo wrestler. Yeah, I guess so. So he doesn't have to have your WWE bodybuilder look. You know, over here,、no. it's, yeah. You can yeah, Vader and Scott Norton and Bam Bam Bigelow, you'd be, still be a superstar here in Japan. Yeah, the size. Just the and the、size. athleticism. Yeah, they、mm-hmm. can move. Yeah. So, Stan Hansen was one of them. Yes. Interesting.、Mm. And,、um, okay. I, uh, before we finish up, I think we should just, we probably should mention the, the I guess, the, What people like to talk about today when they talk about sumo in general in Japan 
one of the yeah. main issues is that for a long time there haven't been strong Japanese grand champions for quite a while now. Yeah, it's all Mongolian, huh? And a lot of the top wrestlers are Mongolian, and in the 90s, we were talking about Akebono and, of course, Konishiki. Or Musashi, yeah. Or Asashoryu. Asashoryu, Mongolians, yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess that this generation of Japanese cannot take the practice or workout, you know, like their small method, like, you know, that the younger Japanese, you know, prospect, you know, decide to not to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, as the Grand Champions has been always been last 50, 20 years of it. Yeah, either from Samoa, Samoan heritage, or or somebody from like a, a former Soviet, you know, like mm -hmm. yeah, Bulgaria or yeah. Yeah, there's even uh, competitors from Bulgaria and Ukraine competing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now. Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Not quite American. Or, yeah, like, a, I guess a, a Japanese athlete can find something else or something, yeah. Mm -hmm. But Sumo lifestyle is so tough. Yeah, it's, it's, sumo is internationalized, but still it's, it's very strict and uh, there are very certain expectations of the, yeah, of the lifestyle. Yeah, and then when they become Yokozuna, you become Japanese citizen too. That's right, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. Or do citizen like you know Akebono had American passport and Japanese passport. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or some of the Mongolian guys I know they they, I think they give up. I don't I don't know how it works, but they do get a full Japanese Japanese passport yeah. and Japanese yeah. name. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's so small. Yeah, mm. they want to keep it like it's a native you know sport, sport or the ritual more of it. Uh, do you think it's gotten less popular over the years? Uh, still pretty popular, and uh, people still watch sumo. And uh, I watch sumo during the tournament, like this week. Yeah, mm -hmm. just top ten matches. Yeah, yeah. It's still on news, sports news. They cover it. You know. Yeah, it, it almost feels like it's um, it's kind of this seasonal uh thing it, it's not just sumo but it it happens around the time of season it's on in the afternoon when you get home from work or school <laughs> yeah it's um, like my, a, my, my father always had sumo on yeah it's like an institution you know yeah yeah it would be weird if sumo was just gone suddenly oh it, be... it probably won't no. Of course, of course. That's why yeah, I yeah. think it would be weird that it, that just to yeah. paint a picture of that feeling. I mean, I I think it's not only just uh, in Japan, but in pro wrestling too. That connection is yeah. there. That connection is there, and the Ricky Dozen introduced this as a Seiyo Zumo, <laughs> Western Sumo. Yeah, Seiyo Zumo, Western Sumo, and they got it right away. Oh, Western Sumo. Mm. Yeah, that was well, 1950s mentality. Well, I hope that people that listen to this can kind of, I mean, I think if you know a little bit about the way a sumo works, I think you really will start to understand a lot of the decisions. A lot of and... things are so, uh, very similar. Close society, inside languages, mm -hmm. and uh, kayfabe, you know, mentality, yeah, mindset. Camaraderie yeah. within Camaraderies, yeah, within the business. If you weren't sumo wrestlers, you are outside, outsider, mm -hmm. you know, won't let you in. Oh, it's a inner circle thing. Yeah.
And you're expected to act a certain way, which is usually different from regular citizens. You're sometimes you're 24 seven, you're on all the time. I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that. Be it sumo, be it pro wrestling. It's There is that similarity. So yeah. Yeah. In that, very sense, much so. in that sense, it's more similar to sumo and it's less similar to a martial art. And I think that's kind of where Japanese wrestling started to get different in the, you know, it was 70s, 80s, where other martial arts were introduced into pro wrestling and it started to I mean, kind of go away from sumo because that was, yeah. you know. And also basic grappling, yeah, hmm. not striking. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of the techniques, I mean, they're, they're wrestling, jujitsu yeah. techniques, judo techniques. Yeah. Uh, I mean, throwing and rolling. Yeah. Even some slapping. Yeah, thrust. Yeah, mm -hmm. harite. Yeah, or the tsupari. Yeah. Some of the guys, even like even like hakuho, sometimes it looks like a straight, straight right hook. I yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty. They they go. This is it's not a thrust. A, yeah. That's, or the elbow. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. seen wrestlers get bloodied. Yeah. Pretty common. Yeah, with... elbow to your jaw. Oh my eye. Yeah. It's like a misawa. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And also, uh, sumo wrestlers were falling into the crowd before the days of, you know, Lucha Libre and ECW when they fall <laughs> off the, they fall yeah, off the, the, the ring. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think it was from yesterday's highlights. There was an older fellow. Oh yeah. Did you see what happened? He, the older older man that was uh, watching sumo towards the towards the ring towards the dojo. He. Yeah one of the sumo wrestlers came bowling out and he, he knocked the older guy over, but the, the old guy couldn't get up. He was kind of just stuck on his back. <laughs> you know, oh, that's that's because they're not sitting in chairs, right? They're not right. sitting in chairs. Oh, they're sitting on pillows. Oh, yeah. Zabatons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like uh, we were talking about Vader earlier. I mean, do you remember what happened when Vader and Inoki happened? People started throwing the uh, pillows just sure. like in sumo. Yeah, Same for, the ups, for the big upset. So if if you're if I'm a, a foreign fan and I'm watching that and I didn't know, I would just think that all hell broke loose and people are upset about something. But you know that it start throwing pillows. Mm. <laughs> but it, it, oh, if the, the most famous one was like a second year G1 climax that the Muto against Chono, you know, it was they throwing the you know pillows because they were happy. You know? Right, but without that yeah. kind of uh, like information beforehand, it could just look. What was that about, right? Yeah, it's sort of bizarre, especially yeah. compared to if you just watch WWE all the time. It's just different. That's the only thing. It's just. Oh yeah, of course. So in Japan, we're in Japan. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I hope that was educational. <laughs> okay. Well, we jumped back and forth in the 1950s and 60s and 80s, then to, you know the 2000 and Dark Age, and back to Ricky Dozan and all that. And hope we made a lot of sense. Yeah, and and the thing is, is with some of these guys from sumo, we could probably talk for a long time on someone like Chiono Fuji or Akebono, just or somebody like Kitao. Sure, yeah. Or, yeah. or or other successful sumos from a long time ago, or from or from currently. It's just there's a lot to dig into. So if you're interested in it, do your research, go on YouTube, and get right in there. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And the most successful one is Ricky Dozan and Tenru, probably, huh? And and I think Tenru is kind of the the modern version of Ricky Dozan in that he also took on that entrepreneurial spirit, 
Tenru was yeah. also he was he's he was a promoter, he was a booker, he wasn't just a, a top guy, but yeah, and then also he was more modern, so he ended up working in old Japan, SWS and New Japan, and even had a single match against Onita on you know FMW mat and mm-hmm. in the ring and he had his own company, WAR, and he worked it all, you know. Or even WWF. worked hustle. Yeah. WWF and Hustle. Yeah. Hustle, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that too. So he had he, yeah, Tenru did it all. And his retirement match was against Kazuchika Okada to close the chapter. That's right. So many oh, different wow. generations. I think so. Yeah. Uh, he, he's the most doing successful okay in, uh, these in, days. In modern history. Yeah, but he just had a surgery, you know, that uh, spine injury after all. Yeah. yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hope he'll, you know, he'll come out, you know, and uh, come in front of fans again. Yeah. I, you know, I believe, I think there's a, a Tenru Project show coming up, isn't there? Yeah, it happened, but the Tenru didn't show up. Oh, okay, just and his made, uh, Yeah, made an uh, announcement. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, but uh, they, they hand out the leaflet, the letter, you know, and the greeting from Tenru, you know, and sorry for not being here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still very much being loved. All right, yeah. well that's the influence of sumo and pro wrestling so i, I think we hit a lot of the and crossover culture and fusion points yeah. yeah so if you have questions yeah. or, or comments or, or anything yeah we could them. do it again yeah i'm sure if we have questions where can we find you on uh, at, uh, on twitter at fumihiko dayo f-u-m-i-h-i-k-o-d-a-y-o fumihiko dayo or just fumisaito on uh, facebook please message me first and on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. All right, that's it. So Sumo is in the books. So until next week, who may take it away? So long from Tokyo. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.